inspired leadership to me means that you are someone who sets a vision for what could be in such a way that other people that you're leading can understand how they each uniquely can contribute to it and participate alongside with you. Welcome to Inspiring Leaders, the podcast that shares ideas, perspectives, and best practices from great leaders around the world to help you become a more inspired leader. Welcome to the Inspiring Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Terry Lepofsky, and on our show this week, we're talking about being mindful in conflict. If you take a minute to think about the leaders that you've had in your life that you respect the most, I'll bet that all of them had one thing in common. They were the rudder that kept the proverbial ship floating straight and true, even through stormy waters. In other words, they were calm and clear-minded. Well, our guest today is Jim Mondry, and he's going to help us understand how to cultivate that calm clarity that makes people worthy leaders. Jim, welcome to Inspiring Leaders. Thank you so much. Quick question for you. What leader has inspired you and why? Many leaders have inspired me, but uh, one that I want to share about is Ed Catmull, the uh, CEO of Pixar. So what inspires me most about him was, first off, as an individual, he was passionate about animation. He was actually one of the first people to do digital animation. And he got to a point where he actually had a company that was doing it. But then he realized that, okay, so I've got this company where do I want to go now? And he, and for him, then the new discovery and the new curiosity that, that inspired him to move forward was, how do I actually make this a place worth working at where I get the best out of all of these amazing creative people? So for him, the act of leadership isn't just about running a company. It's how do I create a space so that everyone can contribute to a greater collective vision? Oh, that's an interesting take on things. I love that. Jim, you and I have both worked in a variety of organizations over the years. We both know that a lot of managers get overwhelmed with a million different demands for their attention, from overseeing tasks, supporting employees, responding to customers, and answering to senior leaders. But as a life coach, you've created a program to help managers learn to surf the waves of work, rather than getting pulled under. I know that you're using mindfulness meditation not only as a core element of your program, but also a critical part of your own life. I want to hear about this. If you don't mind, tell us a little bit more about this. Like, how did it come to be and how is this benefiting the people that you're working with? I stumbled into mindfulness and several years ago now, probably about five years ago, I was listening to a number of of podcasts from like really big creative and entrepreneurs. And so many of them kept dropping the, oh yeah, I've got a mindfulness practice. I've got a mindfulness practice. And I thought, okay, interesting, but I really didn't know what that meant. And I just thought meditation was a bit woo-woo. And being an engineer, I was afraid of anything that that even remotely had waves of woo-hoo. But then one of the things that really got me started on it was actually a book called Search Inside Yourself. It was created by Google. Yeah, that's the book by Chaudhary Mengtan at Google, right? Absolutely. I started reading it partially because I was at a time in my life where I was trying to figure out what sort of work I actually wanted to do. Engineering had kind of lost its sparkle for me, and I thought it was another book kind of like, What Color Is Your Parachute? It was nothing like that at all. That's true. So I just decided, well, okay, I've got this book, and this is from Google, right? So it's got to be good. So I started experimenting with the different practices and so started learning it and was interested, but it didn't stick for me from the book. 
So the second thing that that helped me immensely was actually a uh, a mindfulness app called Budify. And so when I had the mindfulness app that offered me very very simple, very short guided meditations, and I now also had the science and the understanding behind it from search inside yourself. I was like, oh, I get this now. And so I started practicing regularly. The third thing that happened to me all at the same time was I was starting to work with a life coach. Here I had this mindfulness practice and I was starting to understand what I'm doing. Why, why is it that I'm focusing on my breath? Why is it that I'm focusing on my body? Why is it that I'm practicing this repeating phrase of may I be well, may I be happy, may I be free from suffering? Why, why am I doing these things? And starting to see how that was changing, how I was interacting with people at work. All of a sudden, I went from having difficult relationships, especially with certain managers and leaders, things started to break open. I was a little bit more courageous and willing to be open with them. They started to be more open with me. Like our whole dynamic shifted, just the energy shifted. And it was like, oh, this is fascinating. At that time as well, I started to see a possibility to step into leadership myself. I started taking on the role as a project engineer formally. I'd been doing it for years up until that point, but I, I actually said to my my leaders, I'm like, no, I want this job formally. And so like, yeah, please take it. So I started guiding people, started to see how these practices were influencing my energy when I was in a when I was in a meeting or when someone was coming to me saying, Hey, we've got a problem or all of the many different things that leading brings up. Mindfulness was helping me be present to it so that I could then ask the question, so how do I want to respond to this rather than just an automatic fear response of, oh shoot, we've got a problem. I want to push it away. I want to you know, get, get, get it away, which often leads to bad decisions or short-sighted decisions that take care of the problem in the short term, but actually create a bigger problem in the long term. So instead of just reacting to things around you, you were actually being more intentional, thinking about how you wanted to respond to things before you moved. That's a perfect summary. So it was essentially, I was learning that I didn't have to react. I was learning that I could choose my response and learning what it meant for me to be intentional so that I could then actually start to take on a role as a leader rather than being a problem solver. I know what you're talking about. When I started doing this myself, I started getting comments from people around me saying that I seemed a little different, that I wasn't so reactive to things around me. I'm wondering, did you find the same thing when you started practicing this as well? People certainly started to say things like they noticed more confidence in me or they just they, they would say things felt different towards other people. I've always been someone who's naturally wanted to be helpful. I also had a had a tendency to when a problem was on my shoulders, I would just lean in and work myself to the bone. The best way to describe it is it's it's as if there was a brick wall in front of me and I needed to go around it. The only way I could see through it was to bash my head to break down that brick wall. When if I had stepped back, I could see the brick wall was only 10 feet wide and I could just walk around it. That was the shift for me where all of a sudden I stopped only seeing the obstacle and obsessing over the obstacle and started to be able to step back and say, how might we work through it, work around it, work over it? What creative potential do 
I haven't as do we we have as a team to resolve this problem. What a great metaphor for what it is that this is doing for you. I have a wonderful story to talk about that, how I've used that as a coach, but that didn't. So I wasn't teaching this person mindfulness, but my own ability to be present in a very difficult situation was able to help this other person as a client find a way around an obstacle that truly seemed insurmountable. Well, tell me a little bit about that. So the client of mine was pursuing their dream career, and they were right at the point where they had a few things left that they had to accomplish in order to achieve a certification that was that was important to them that felt really important they had had a bunch of life circumstances happen that caused them to have to put this pursuit of the certification to the side for a while and the certification body understood they were super uh, understanding but they also were, were coming to a point where like okay we, we've given you all the freedom that we can we need you to finish and so this person basically saw the gap between where they were and what they needed to, ch- to achieve. All they could feel was a deep shame. And what have I done with my time where I've been putting all of this energy into these personal problems that has led to a painful outcome? And also, I'm about to lose my dream career. We sat down in a coaching session. I started to use a bunch of different coaching tools all about how do we get some greater perspective? Because when you're in the middle of a difficult, difficult situation, when you're in something that I like to use the word conflict, and the conflict is between your reality and what you wish reality was like. This person was just so stuck in the conflict and could only see the obstacle because they were so emotionally trapped, which we all have at times. There is no person, there is no leader that ever gets beyond that. The question is, what do you do when you recognize you're at that state? Okay, so what do you do? (laughs) Now you've got me on the edge of my seat. So one of the first things that I like to do with my clients is let's get conscious with your body. Right. Give yourself some time to be aware of what feelings that you've got in your body. And the reason your body is so important is your body actually holds a lot of emotions and actually it does hold some intuitive intelligence that we as North American society have stopped listening to. I used to believe that I could live exclusively from my head and that I could logically solve every problem. Well, when you're emotionally triggered, your amygdala is completely shutting off your prefrontal cortex. Your amygdala basically is putting you in a flight or fight situation. You can't think logically. Like You just can't take your logical brain and go, okay, it's time for you to turn on and tell my amygdala we're okay. That's the emotional hijack, right? That is exactly the emotional hijack. And so what you can then start with is, so stop trying to force it. Be present in it. Sit in this moment and feel it. Imagine you are weightlifting. You are just starting to bench press very close to your maximum weight. That first resistance when you start pushing against it, especially if it's close to your maximum uh, maximum weight, can feel like, can I do this? Like, I don't know if I can do this. And so you just feel this really, really difficult force, but you just have to acknowledge it and keep going. I'm going to keep pushing against it because the worst thing that's going to happen is I won't be able to lift this weight. That emotional weight You can sit in that resistance and the worst thing that's going to happen in that moment is you're going to cry. 
So I'd like to bring awareness. Let's just be, let's acknowledge what's here. Stop trying to run away from it. Stop trying to deny it. And it's bringing your awareness to your body. Where's, like, where's their tightness? Where's their energy? Like, what's the emotion associated with that sensation? Let's get really granular. Then from there, what I like to try and do is I actually like to try and bring in a tool of, of gratefulness. Like, what are some possibilities in this circumstance? Like, there's a Zen cone, which goes like, when there's nothing left to do, what can you do? Logically, that makes no sense. But when you, when you take some time to explore that idea, when there's nothing left that you can do, well, you can still sit there and be present. And sometimes being sitting there and being present, opportunities open up which is where this idea of, of gratefulness and looking for new ways to look at this situation might open you up to your creativity. So we're trying to get past that sensation of we're, we're done for. There is no hope. And so then you can explore, well, what can you do here? Sometimes it is just be present and do the very next step. Sometimes, like with this person, we were able to create a two-week action plan where they were able to go from feeling like it was all over to they achieved it, they were successful, they got the certification. They are so much stronger from having faced that time where they felt like everything was lost and they moved through it. And so now they're, they're doing amazing work. I, it's someone who I, I, I keep in touch with, and I just love hearing what's going on with them just to see the transformation that's happened. You know, Jim, this is really cool. I got to say, you walking through this really provides great perspective for anybody that may be in a situation where they feel like, well, perhaps this is something for me, but they're not really sure exactly how the whole thing works. Yeah. There is a great deal of intelligence that's happening in your body with how your body is reacting. And a lot of people are not in tune with the tension that may be sitting in their shoulders or in their jaw. And they're sitting in meetings with other professionals. They realize that they're carrying all of this tension with them. So that, I think, is something that a lot of people can wrap their heads around. But what I think you really brought to the table here for me, what really resonates with me, is this whole second phase of it in bringing in that gratitude. Because I see that that is re-engaging the logical mind and putting you into a position where you know that you can do something. Absolutely. And not only that you can do something, but that you are saying life is, is good here. Right. Because when, when, that, when that amygdala is, is when, you, when you've been hijacked, it can, especially with really difficult hijack. I just think of examples where there were times where I was working on a project and I was leading a team. We would get bad news, like a test failed. But that was a test that was critical to our success path to releasing a new product or to resolving a customer issue. We went from, okay, we're at the borderline of whether we can achieve this or not, and the test has failed. What do you do now? Sometimes you're opening up to millions of dollars of cost overruns or really upset customers who might cancel orders, which can affect the bottom line by millions of dollars. How do you be present in a situation where it feels like everything is lost? And so by, by looking for what are the opportunities, what can I be grateful for here? You take that part of your brain that's saying it's all lost and saying, well, no, it's, it's not all lost. There, there is still life here. And how do I start pulling on those threads of life rather than just looking at where everything else has come unraveled? 
you know, it seems subtle, and yet there's so much value in what you're talking about. And I think that these are the moments that happen to us more than a lot of people recognize. Practicing this kind of stuff, I, I think that this there's a great deal of value, and there, this can really make a huge difference in people's lives, especially these days when we've got so much information overload and things are moving at such a rapid pace, more than ever before. You know, the rate of change is crazy. Absolutely. Do you mind if I get a little esoteric here? No, go for it. Do you know who David White is? I don't, no. He is a British and Irish author and poet who really has explored kind of, I'm going to call it the intersection of spirit, the spiritual act of war. That's something that really is something that's fascinated me. And what I mean by the spiritual act of war is uh, the point of spirituality is to help you learn what it means to be human in community and you as an individual. Because that is kind of the the interesting dynamic of being human is that I am unique just like everyone else. So we need to find that intersection between where I am as an individual and how I fit within the collective. And that's where David White comes in. He has explored this idea of the conversational nature of reality. What he means by that is nothing is ever what we wish it was. So, for instance, our parents had dreams for us as children, and we as children had dreams for what our parents would be. We never fulfilled those parents' dreams, and our parents never fulfilled ours. And the truth is somewhere in the middle. Now, thinking about this from a leadership perspective, as a leader and as a manager, you have visions for what your employees are going to be, and they are never going to fulfill that. And simultaneously, your employees have visions for who you are and how you're going to interact with them and what the work is going to look like. It's never going to happen. This is kind of what I mean by learning to be comfortable in the conflict, because this is actually where the most important conflict is going to exist in any business is can you sit in that place where nothing is as perfect as you wish it was? And can you accept it with gratitude and go, okay, this is so, how do I want to be in this space and how do I want to move forward in this space? And what can I be grateful for that's happening right now or what are the opportunities? Is that right? I like to ask the bigger question of who do you want to be in this space? Oh, that's good. Gratefulness is a really important tool because for me, gratefulness gets me connected with that sense of of joy. It gets me connected with that sense of positivity and I like to be positive. Some people, they just naturally are more, I'm going to say serious as opposed to negative because that that isn't what I'm trying. I'm not trying to create a dichotomy here. No, you're right. Positivity might not necessarily be the right thing there or gratefulness. There's all sorts of data and research showing how important it is, but I never want to be the guy who says gratefulness. If you're not grateful, it's all over because I am sure there are examples where someone doesn't practice gratefulness regularly and has a lovely, wonderful, happy life. I like to go deeper. Who do you want to be in this space? And what are the touch points or what are the touchstones that you need to have around you that help you embody that so that when you're not getting back in that conversational nature of reality, what you wish you were getting back, you can say, that's okay. Because I don't need the other side of the conversation to be giving me exactly what I want to be the person I want to be here. In this context, I guess we could say the subtitle for this show is How to Be a Leader Worth Following. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Absolutely. This is incredibly rich, very valuable at a very base level. And I think that it's really going to come across as something that I think a lot of people will identify with on a very personal level. Before we wrap up, I've got two questions for you. I like asking this to everybody that's been on the show. The first question is this. What challenges do you see facing a lot of the leaders out there today? One of the primary challenges that I see a lot of leaders facing today is there are parts of themselves that they haven't integrated. And so they're kind of scared to use that as a leadership tool. And what I mean by that is a little bit more broad. We're we're talking about the shadow. There's a part of us in our, often in our childhood, young adulthood, where we experienced something difficult and we said, I never want to be that way. To give the personal example, for me, I learned as a young child that aggression is a bad thing. But at the same time, aggression in a sense of leadership can be really useful when we are learning what we're pushing towards. Sometimes learning to push back against someone as a leader can be really, really powerful. Whereas if I refuse to engage anything that remotely smells of aggression, all of a sudden, I'm going to be very passive and I'm just going to let everyone walk all over me. This is where we need to start to be more open to where are the things that are creating conflict for us? Because they are, that conflict is going to open us to the parts of ourselves that we haven't fully integrated. So the conflict are our opportunities. They, they are, they're the windows of personal growth. That's great. Okay, my last question for you is this. What does inspired leadership mean to you, Jim? Inspired leadership to me means that you are someone who sets a vision for what could be in such a way that other people that you're leading can understand how they each uniquely can contribute to it and participate alongside with you. It's not about telling other people what to do. It's about inviting them into the party. Man, that is succinct. You've got it right down, something portable, something that we can take with us. And I think that that's going to help a lot of people. Jim, listen, thank you very much for being part of Inspiring Leaders. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much, Terry. Thanks again for being part of our quest to make inspired leadership ubiquitous. Wherever you are, we hope that we've helped to inspire you and that you'll pay it forward by inspiring others. And just a reminder to support us on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud with your ratings and comments. That support is hugely appreciated. Until next time, take care, everyone.